dude, wow. Really? Yeah, so it's the I holiday mean, really? season. I know. Question. Yes. Why do they always give you top billing? I'm actually in the bottom. I'm in the bottom corner. Yeah, but you're on the top and the bottom. It's just me in the bottom. Hmm. Me and Hetty. We're from a different planet. Hi. <laughs> Someday, I'd like to have one that features me down there. Can you do that? Yeah, I can make that happen. All right, go ahead. Let's go for it. Check it out. Huh? <laughs> you have strings. <laughs> Can like we see that, that a few more times? No. Yeah, I like that R. Well, it is an exciting time to be alive. And you know, Dr. John's talking about hands and research. And I'd like to test my hand tonight if you'd be willing to help. Of course. <laughs> I have been programming my hand to be able to do new fancy hairdos. <laughs> You're very brave. <laughs> I've learned You're that on Science Live. Brave. To be brave. <laughs> and, and did you notice how Tobias and Joseph got together? Joseph Wi-Fi, Tobias Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi. Do you think they wife. had that planned? Yeah, they must have. They must have. Yeah. Well, it is a really good time to be alive and be in science and yes. doing all the amazing things that are happening. And I'd like to welcome everyone here. Um, I have a, uh, an adventure I'd like to take us on tonight. And it's an exciting time of the year. I hope everybody is warm and happy and, and enjoying each other in the season. But uh, I want to take you back like Toby does. He's always telling us about these great events that happened. And me, you know, I don't know that much about history. That's why I come and listen to him every week. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm learning more it. and more about history. Oh. Yeah. A movie star yeah. made a big invention. It's kind of exciting. There is an invention that, um, that I was involved in that a lot of people... Uh, don't know too much about. And it's, uh, it's one of the important things that I think I've done in my career. And one of the things that's really interesting about it is because this is a invention that involved... Oh, goodness. <clears throat> Where is this going? Do I know that? <laughs> yeah. it, it's actually uh, kind of an interesting story. Back in the day. How do you do that voice? Back in the day. You got it. When uh, Dr. Paget was just Paget, okay. and she came to school, and she enrolled at the Institute of Science and Technology, not sure if science was her thing. True. 
And the idea of being an engineer and an electrical engineer and all of that was still formulating. She was saying, really? Really? Yeah, back then. We had finished riding dinosaurs. <laughs> and we were already up to the point where networking was going over a piece of coax. And for those that are a little behind on coax, coax is a type of wire. It's a wire where you have a copper conductor in the middle of the wire, and then around the outside of the copper you have a foam insulation, and around that you have a braided ground. And coax is, is like a magical wire that can carry a signal different places. It's how we get power from a transmitter to an antenna. And I say it's how we get it there because if you use regular wire, the signal would leak out on the way to the antenna. And that's not a good thing. Coax is very good at carrying high frequency signals over great distances. So we need to back up to a place called Hawaii and Aloha because the University of Hawaii is situated on multiple Hawaiian islands. And when they wanted to communicate between computers, they didn't have fibers, they didn't have cables running, so they were sending their information over radio signals. And they'd send out a signal that would have little bits and, and spaces, and they would encode that to be the message or whatever they wanted to send. Well, so, Here's the problem they ran into. On all of the Hawaiian islands, they had these transmitters, and they'd be standing by waiting to see who wanted to send a message, and then when someone had something to say, they'd just start transmitting, and the others would pick it up with their receivers. Well, sometimes two transmitters would transmit at exactly the same time. And when they did, the radio waves would collide and, and the people trying to receive it would get two signals and they couldn't make sense of it. So they couldn't figure out what it was. And so this was wireless networking, but they need to figure out a way to solve this problem because they would always listen to make sure nobody was transmitting and then they'd start and if two started at once, and they'd, they'd have their collision of data, then they'd stop, they'd wait the same amount of time, they'd try it again, and it would just lock up the channel. And so one brilliant scientist decided, what if we detect a collision? What if we wait for an arbitrary amount of time, a random amount of time? Choose a random number, and we'll wait for that many milliseconds. And so they would do that, and that would mean if they collided one time, the next time they wouldn't because they'd start going again. The other one would hear the first one it transmitted. And that doesn't sound like a big deal, but boy, it changed the world. Somebody, uh, a couple guys in fact, uh, a guy named Bob Metcalf and another guy named Dr. Ron Crane from graduate of MIT, by the way, <laughs> <coughs> developed a way of doing this aloha network on one piece of coax. And so it was like the radio waves, except 
instead of going out over the airwaves, it was just going out over this piece of coax. And a whole bunch of computers would hook up to the same wire, and they would transmit data. And whoever transmitted on that big wire going through a whole organization, everybody could hear it. And if they collided, which they did quite often, when you get more and more computers, you collide more often, they would back off a different amount of time and retransmit. And that was the beginning of Ethernet. And that first system was made run by Ron Crane, uh, who was a very, very brilliant scientist and engineer, and I might add, and a very dear personal friend of mine, after he did it. I didn't meet him until he was already pretty famous. But this network uh, would send data, and at, at this particular stage that my story is going to start, it would send data at a million bits per second, which is really cooking. Just think, a million bits. Of course, you need to have eight bits to even have one character. Like an A is eight bits, a G is eight bits. So that slows it down quite a bit. A P, mm -hmm. it's eight bits too. Okay, and an A, <laughs> and a J, and an E, and a D. It's gonna be that kind of day, isn't it? <laughs> Have you ever tried these on? I haven't. Okay, well you go ahead and try those on. And oh look, I can see the world in a whole different view. I can't hear you, they're silence glasses, they're noise canceling. <laughs> Okay, as I was saying, they'd send the data at a megabit, which was pretty good, but on the other hand, it was really, really slow for how fast computers were starting to get and how quickly people wanted their data. And so I came on the scene and I said, I can make a computer network run faster than that. I can make it run a thousand times faster, a billion bits per second instead of a million. And uh, of course, a lot of people thought that was funny. No, you can't. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. And so I started a project which became a company called Wideband. And the goal of Wideband was to be able to send a signal out over a, a copper wire at a billion bits per second. Now, there were a lot of problems associated with that. One of the big things that needed to happen was we need to do something about when people would talk at once and there'd be a collision. And by now, the world had gone away from this one coax to every computer, and people were starting to use hubs that had a Cat5 cable plugged in coming into each computer to a central device. And the first thing that I thought was, why do you need to have collisions and collision detection if everybody's on a separate wire? The reason they had it at, over at Aloha in Hawaii was because they were on one radio frequency. When they did over the same coax, they were all sharing the same wire. But now everybody's got their own wire. We ought to get rid of collisions. And I suggested that to some leaders in the field, and they told me, no, you can't because it's the standard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I thought, you know what, that's really a good idea. Let's do something really dumb because <laughs> that's what we've always done. 
You would think that. Yeah, and I <laughs> no, 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 no. So I decided that I was going to get rid of collisions with my network, with my wideband network that I was going to invent. I was going to get rid of collisions. And I figured, man, if you could make this run fast, it would be really neat. If you make it run a thousand times faster, it'd be super. But if you could eliminate collisions, it'd be twice as good because half, half of the bandwidth was being wasted on data colliding and getting all mixed up and messed up and so forth. So I decided I was going to get rid of collisions. And the way I did it was by inventing a protocol. You've got all these computers that want to talk. They all have wires going into a little box. And what that box would do is it would send the signal back to all the computers at the same time. So if two happened to talk at once, it would collide. It would be like you're listening to two radio stations at once. It would be all garbled. And so I decide what I'll do is I'll make it so when the data comes in from all the computers, I'll have a FIFO. A FIFO, F-I-F-O, stands for a first-in, first-out memory unit. It's a little memory chip that you put data in one side and it stores it, and then you can read it out the other side asynchronously. Asynchronously means using different clocks. And that turns out to be kind of interesting. And FIFOs have been invented. They were around. Why don't we use them? So when people wanted to send their data, it would come in on all these different wires to the hub, only I renamed the hub because this is not doing hubbing. <laughs> hubbing means it comes in and sends it out immediately and it collides. What I said, this is going to be a concentrator. So the data comes down, it starts going into a little temporary memory buffer. And if the outbound channel is open, if nobody's talking, then you immediately start sending it out. And if the outbound channel's busy, then you wait till it's through, and then you send it out. And this little box can control that. This little box called a concentrator. And so we developed the circuit, we made it, and it worked. And data coming in from all these computers would come in, and if one was talking, the others would buffer until their turn, and everybody get a turn to send it out. And we were now able to send a signal over a wire to a computer so that the pipe, the pipe in this case means the wire was clear full. There was no pause, it was just data coming all the time. On a regular Ethernet network, you couldn't do that. When you started getting near 70%, 75% full, it would start having so many collisions it would lock up and then it would just kind of shut down. This one you go clear up to like 99% and it would give you absolute perfect fidelity and, and keep things going through. So it was a pretty neat network. Now, the next thing I need to do is get the data to come in a lot faster than a megabit. And to do that, there's a lot of stories that could be told, which are all accurate. But uh, Category 5 cables, the kind of cable that we now hook up our networks with. Before, if you'd hook onto a network, you'd hook up with a piece of coax. Remember, coax is that wire. It has one conductor with foam around it and then a braided shield around the foam. So it would be an inside wire, an outside wire. The braided shield would act like a, a protector to keep signals from getting out and getting in. And then you had the big coax going through your organization, 
and they go cut that coax and put in a T-connector. A T-connector connected the main big coax and gave you a place to bring yours in so that all the signals would crash on that big wire. Brilliant. Okay. Well, they changed it to a Category 5 cable, which was a name that was given to a Category 3 cable. A Category 3 cable was just a regular telephone wire. Category 5 was a telephone wire with four twisted pairs. And this is something that you ought to kind of understand because it's kind of like magic. So there are four pairs of wire going through this one wire. And Category 5 today still has four pairs of wire. And each pair of wires, it's two wires, they're twisted. And they're twisted so that they cancel out noise and they don't give noise to each other. Noise, in this case, is electromagnetic signals that leak out of the wire as you send down your data. And if, if you haven't noticed, you guys that like to do hands-on stuff, you could pull the insulation off Category 5 cable, and you can see the four pairs. There are four colors, and each pair has a solid color and a color with that color in white, like it's orange, and the other wire is orange and white in bands, and brown, brown and white, green, green and white, blue, blue and white. Those were the, the colors of a Cat5 cable. But if you, if you pull out the outer jacket or the insulation and look at the four pairs, and notice very careful, they're wound differently. One has about five winds in a foot, and the other one has like three and a half, and the other one, and so they're all wound different, and because they're wound different, it's Peje calling. Hello, Peje. Hello. <laughs> Not right now. Okay, okay, guys, uh, can you excuse me for just a minute? They're asking if you could show your sign. Okay, will that do? All right, got it, thanks. Okay. Just a little page A business here, take care of. Thank you for that. All right, so by twisting those wires a different amount, the signals didn't interfere because they would come off different winds and then cancel out. And uh, for you guys that are already into your advanced courses in this, on each pair, each cable pair, you send a signal and the signal isn't a signal and a ground like we normally send. It's actually two signal lines, and they're what we call differential signals. So that means when one goes positive, the other one goes negative. Every time. That's how you transmit the signal. And then when the second one goes positive, the other one goes negative. So they're always opposites. You say, why in the world would you do that? For the very same reason that we also do it with a microphone cable. When a microphone hears a sound, a little diaphragm vibrates and it makes a micro, micro electric current which goes down the wire to an amplifier. But that signal is so weak that by the time it gets to the amplifier, You'd have all the noise of the radio stations around you and AC hum from the, our power in the building 
and when you put in the amplifier, it sounds terrible. And guess how scientists solve the problem? Coming off of that microphone, going into a microphone cable, they send out a differential signal. So it isn't a ground with one signal having a voltage every time there's a noise. Instead, it's a differential signal. Every time there's a noise, one signal goes positive while the other one goes negative. And they switch. And you say, so why would they do that? And it's interesting because when a wire is going through a building and a radio wave's coming in or it goes past a power line and you have AC interference, you know, our alternating current is making a hum, and it comes into this wire, it comes into both wires the same time and they both go positive right together with the interference. But when they get into the amplifier, the amplifier only hears differences between the two wires. And so all of the interference noise disappears. It's just cut out because it's the same on both wires. And that's what we do with computer networking. That's what we do with the Cat5 cable. That's why we have differential signals. And differential signals are really, really neat because they don't pick up the interference and they don't interfere with each other, anything like a normal signal. And for me to be able to go gigabit speed, I had to send the data down the wire at lightning speed, speed so fast that they wanted to be radio waves. They want to jump out of the wire, and they want to interfere, and they want to be lost. And so this differential signal was a big, big step. Category 5 cables that are used in our buildings must be 100 meters long or less. The standard says they can be up to 100 meters long. That's, that's a little bit over 100 yards, like a football field. They can be pretty long. And so I had to design my new network board so it would work 330 feet, it's 100 meters, and you could still get the signal to work on the far end. Well, I found out something very interesting. Some of the data I would send would cause the frequency that I would send on the wire to be a very high frequency, and some would cause it to be a low frequency, and here's why. If I send one, that means there's a voltage, and then a zero, no voltage, then a one, voltage, then no. It's going back and forth, on and off. But if I send four ones, one, 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 then I'd have a long pulse of a voltage, which would be a low frequency of how fast I was sending over the wire. And that's where you run into a major problem with physics. If you send a wire signal out, you have a wire, you send a signal over the wire, the frequency that it vibrates changes how well it goes over the wire. If it's a low frequency, it goes through, and on the far end, it's almost exactly as, as big a voltage as you start out with. But if it's a real high frequency, when you get on, as you go over the wire, it loses power because it's radiating out and it gets down to the other end of the wire and there's almost no voltage left. And if you want to know how bad that was, because here I'm trying to build this network and I build this thing and I try it. When it started out going into the wire, I put it in at one volt. 
You say, why didn't you want to do more? Because that was the kind of voltage you use for networking. So I used one volt in, and when I got down to the far end, the low frequencies were about seven and a half, ten, or 0.75 volts, three quarters of a volt, but the high frequencies were one thousandth of a volt. The voltage had dropped down so much that I couldn't read those frequencies on the far end. And so that's why you can't go gigabit over cap five. That's why you can't. That's why you can't. That's why nobody had done it. That's why they weren't doing it. <laughs> and so there is a circuit that you can make with capacitors and resistors that will tune to a particular frequency and it will cut out signal. And it's, it's called an equalizer. When you're playing a, a stereo, some stereos will have tone controls. One's for bass and one's for treble. If you turn the bass way up, you hear the bass, if you turn the treble way up, it's real screechy. All right? So you usually set them right in the middle, and that's why some stereos don't even have tone controls anymore. But tone controls are a type of equalizer. In a recording studio, they have a whole bunch of them, and they can change any frequency up or down to make the tone sound real good. Well, I decided I need an equalizer on my signal. And the way my equalizer worked, if it was low frequency, I would turn it way off. Like the bass, I'd turn the bass way down. And the high frequencies, which would be like the treble, I turned way up. Only I did it with an electronic circuit. I tuned it so that the, the low frequencies were one thousandth of strong as I was receiving them, so they'd be just like the high frequencies. And then, with just a thousandth of a volt, I was able to measure reliable data and make this thing work. Well, <clears throat> I was pretty excited. We made a product. But now I had another problem. To get rid of those collisions of the, the different computers transmitting all at once and then send them over the wire, I had to figure out a way to be able to get the right signal out to the right computer. And this is an idea that became a patent, and it's a patent that has uh, been very, very valuable. And I think it'd be kind of fun for you to understand. You can look it up, and you'll see. I might be the inventor. Yeah, they, we have students wondering mm -hmm. if we're still using that, that technology today. Well, we are using a lot of that technology, but you got to wait. Okay. The story's still going we on. Okay. Yeah. Excited. Yeah, just be patient. Just not patient. Put the glasses back on. Be quiet. No. I mean, <laughs> respectfully. Shh. No. All right. Go ahead. Talk. Okay, thank you. Well said. Well said. It, it really is an interesting idea. I wonder how many of you can get it. So I've got all these computers sending data down to the concentrator, and then the concentrator is putting them out like a train, one right after another, so they all go out over the wire. But the problem is they go out over all the wires to all the computers. So every computer is getting all the traffic from that's being sent to all of the different users, and they don't want it. They only want the stuff to them. 
And so as the data starts coming into your computer off this wire, at the beginning of every packet of data that I would transmit, <clears throat> there'd be a header with what's called a, a MAC address. MAC address, a fancy name we use in, in networking, talking about the media access layer. But anyway, the MAC address would uh, be for the particular computer, and on my little network card would put in the computer, it would look to see if it was your MAC address. If it wasn't, it would throw it away and wait for the next one. If it was, it would grab it and pull it in to get your data. Now that simple little idea is what made it possible to eliminate collisions. Because now we could send all the data to everybody. Uh, the topology was very simple, and it's, it's being used in a lot of very interesting ways yet today, as we'll get to, if you'll just stay tuned. <laughs> It's going to be like that today, I can tell. All right, but she actually knows all about this because she got really involved when we were developing it. Okay. The, the challenge then, I had something that worked, and it worked really well. It eliminated collisions. It was faster than anything the industry had ever seen. It worked over existing cables. And I took it to a computer show and said, look what we've got. Everybody needs to order this new wideband network. And people would look at it and they'd say, it, it can't be real. It can't work. You can't do that. It's impossible. And besides, you know, you, you must have some very special cable. We had a little demonstrate now. We don't believe that it would work in, in the wiring in our building. So we scratched our heads. And for the next show, I took a piece of wall, you know, like a piece of wall. It was about four feet wide. And I had four tubifores, and we ran wires through tubifores, like, like you put inside a wall inside the sheetrock. And then I took four, five, six, seven, eight strands of barbed wire. You know what barbed wire is? I do. It's pokey. Like you put on a barbed wire fence, see if you can keep your horses inside the pasture. As these barbs that get too close, the guy says, move back, please. <laughs> and so we had eight strands of barbed wire, like the twisted pairs, and I hooked the Cat5 up to those barbed wires, and we sent data over barbed wire. Which is amazing. And it was speed. We, yeah, and then we would yeah. send videos so they could watch it on the screen and see it came through perfect. And then go behind the wall. To see what we were they really didn't doing because it. they didn't believe mm -hmm. it. Because it couldn't be done. Yeah, and it was one computer, barbed wire in the middle of the other. And so it became a uh, new technology that had a lot of potential. And so Wideband manufactured this networking equipment right here in, in the Kansas City area. And we started shipping it all over the world. And uh, we, we actually made quite a bit of, of the money we used to start to sell us selling wideband networking equipment. Uh, eventually, a few years down the road, a uh, handful of years down the road, almost 10, the Institute of Electrical and Electronic Engineers, IEEE, decided that it was time to make Ethernet go gigabit. So they set up a committee to decide how to do Ethernet over copper wire. And when I heard I was a member, I'm still a member of IEEE, so I went to the committee meeting. And uh, some of those meetings Dr. Paget attended too. Yeah. 
so she can be a witness. Yeah, there she is. <laughs> Do you solemnly swear? Okay, you should not swear. Mm -hmm. she, needs, she needs social training. But anyway, so we went to this committee meeting, and they were going to make a gigabit network, so I showed them how we did it. And uh, they decided that they didn't want to make it like mine because they wanted to make their own. And anyway, it's, it's political. There were yeah. about 2,000 engineers at that committee meeting. Mm -hmm. That's a big committee. And everybody had their own idea on how we should do this, and they would vote. And the first thing they voted down is that they were not going to use my method because they didn't believe I could send data that fast over wire. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the equalizers were the secret of how we're able to do that. So they voted that down. And when a committee that is making a standard votes something down, it's gone. It's just Comes over, fast. just like that. <laughs> so then they decided they're going to send their four pairs of wire. They're going to send a fourth of the data down one pair, another fourth down the other. And so you get it down on the end, you put all back together, and you get your data. And that way, you'd only have to send it one-fourth of a gigabit. And I thought, well, that's dumb, but I guess if that's going to be the standard. But here's the problem. If you're using all four pairs to send the data, then when you get through sending, you've got to stop, and the server that's answering you has to turn the wire around and send it back over the same pairs. So you go one way, and then you go the other way. Engineers call that half duplex. It means you can only send half as fast because you only send half the time. Gigabit this way, stop. Now let's send a gigabit this way. Uh, that's terrible. You need to be able to send both directions so this thing really cooks. And so I got this idea that if we sent the data this way, when it got down to the receiving end, we could send it back at the same time. The data would collide on the wire but I can subtract out what I'm sending here at the, at the server or at the computer side so I can hear the far side. It's a circuit called a ballon. I figure if we make a ballon, we can send both directions at the same time. The data will go right through each other. And so I got up and suggested that, and they, it'll never work. Not at these frequencies. Ballons have been around, but no one believed they work at this frequency. So I came home from the meeting. And we designed a circuit board to do exactly that. And we built it. And I took it to the next committee meeting and showed them, it works. It works so we can run not half duplex, because that's only half as fast, but full duplex. So we can send and receive at the same time. And it makes things run so much faster. And I became very controversial. <laughs> a lot of people thought it was a really, 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 really stupid idea. And they weren't even going to let me present it. And then Ron Crane, mm -hmm. Dr. Ron Crane, the guy that built the first Ethernet, said, I think he's got a good idea. He did. He did. He that's, said that. And then the committee, hmm. So now <laughs> they got a big debate going. Yeah. Yes, no, no, yes, it'll never work. And, they fought, and they fought, and they fought, and they fought at the next meeting, the next meeting. And finally, when it got time to pass the standard, it was going to be, who wins? The half-duplex guys that have this real crummy network, or the full-duplex guy? Some people called it the billing system. Yeah. That would be full-duplex and go both ways at the same time. 
and no one could agree, so guess what we did? We compromised. We passed two standards. S802.11ac was the number of the standard, and it's gigabit ethernet over copper, and there is the full duplex standard and the half duplex standard. And today, we still use that. It's the most popular network on computers that's used on desktop computers, on wired computers, and I do not know any product in the world that uses the half duplex version. Why would they? Why would they? <laughs> and that makes me very proud yeah, because be. we were able to help pioneer that. Now, there's a reason that I wanted to share this story today, and that is uh, this was a lot of research, a lot of effort, a lot of building prototypes, a lot of studying, a lot of looking for componentry and solutions to problems we ran into. But then after the science worked, it was all about politics. It was all about going in there and convincing people that this idea was better and that it would work. And they voted down my first idea, which I had been, because they didn't think it would work, but I've been selling it for years. We sold them all over the world. And they worked really, really well. And if they had adopted that, Gigabit Networks would be better today than they actually are. But, you know, the standard caught on and, and good for that. But I'm so grateful that they decided to try the half duplex. And all of this is to answer the question, why do we make you future scientists of the world take classes in English? <laughs> English, got it. Mm -hmm. And you know why that is? No. I don't know. Why? We have a question. Though. You must be able to communicate your ideas. Yeah. And I, I've gone over a lot of technology real fast, and some of the details we could spend days and mm. weeks and months on. But being able to express an idea, being able to write an idea, is very, very important if you're going to be one of the inventioners that help change our world. And that's really what we need you to be. Um, when I was just a young boy, one of my close friends was Leonardo da Vinci. I like Leonardo. Now, actually, Leonardo lived 500 years ago. And, uh, of course, I wasn't even born for a long time after that. 500 years ago. Leonardo da Vinci studied flight and birds, and he painted paintings, and he did so many technologies. People are saying that he's the one of the greatest influencers of mankind in the history of the world. And when he was very old and he was about ready to, to pass away, Leonardo expressed his regret that during his lifetime he had not accomplished more, yeah. which is really interesting. During his lifetime, he wasn't really appreciated for his genius like he is today. Today, everybody knows about him. His painting, Mona Lisa, which is a portrait of a woman, is the most famous painting in the world. And it's not worth millions, it's worth billions. Mm -hmm. And it hangs in the Louvre over in Paris. Your opportunity is to become one of the great influencers of the world.
and your brilliance, your creativity are going to give you the power to do that. Hopefully, some of the things we're talking about are going to give you the tenacity. Do you know what that means? What is tenacity? The real just I don't know, but I know it's I have a, a lot of it, right? You do. It's a and lot of drive. You just won't give up. Yeah. You just keep hammering at these yeah. things till you find solutions to the problem. But tenacity is important. But you need to have the tools. One of the tools is the English, so you can communicate your ideas, your language skills. But another huge one is the math skills. If you cannot do the math, then you cannot accomplish the science. You can get a lot of ideas, but it's so hard to optimize your design and to be able to understand it and express it without having the tools of mathematics. And so please, uh, the message today is study hard. Study hard, study hard, study hard. It's going to pay such a dividend to you throughout your entire career. What does that mean? A dividend to you? A dividend. You are really giving me a hard time tonight, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. A dividend is if you go invest a lot of money and buy an asset, and then something happens and the asset gets a lot more valuable and you get a big profit, that's your dividend. And so what I'm saying is that if you invest in training your brain, accumulating knowledge, that it's going to pay you back over and over and over throughout your life, both in satisfaction and fulfillment, and even in a monetary way. You're going to be worth so much more because you mastered these concepts and these precepts. Why are you smiling? Because you give us such an understanding of how to really do it, and I think it's amazing. It's good. Well, it's amazing what Dr. Monet's done. Uh, I think, in conclusion today, you'd be interested to know that this wideband thing that we manufactured and we built, when she graduated from IST, she started her own company, Comtech Networking, and she sold this networking stuff. And she started a little company. She's one of 300 companies that sold these networking products. And over the course of just a few years, with some wonderful help, she became the number one reseller of wideband products all over the world. So she knows a lot about this. And she knows that when you have a, a good, solid background, in technology and math and science and communication and even history, mm -hmm. that you're able to accomplish things. Her company was very, very successful. And I think now looking back, she's glad that she decided to get into a career in science and technology. It is a great field to get into, but you do need to master the material. And just like building big muscles to lift weights is hard work, so is building a big, powerful, smart brain. Yes. And nobody is good at it until they train. And the more you learn, the faster and better you can learn. If learning is hard for you, then you need to do more of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, Einstein once famously said that no matter how difficult math is for you, he says it was harder for me. Einstein, the guy that changed all of science, said math was so hard for him to learn. 
but he persevered. And it was math, really, that he was able to express his great ideas, like his wonderful theory of relativity, and change the world. So study hard. You're worth it. You're worth the effort. Yeah. <laughs> and now for the last word, here's the doctor, Peje Monet. The last word, the please. Last word. <laughs> I think the students and myself would like to really thank you Ten words. for this year <laughs> of science live that you have given to us. And we're excited for next year. And <laughs> I'm loving this. <laughs> I just think we give a real shout out and say thank you. Well, thank you. And thank you for believing in yourselves and, and what you can do to turn this world into the most wonderful place it's ever been. Steady hard. Thank you.